We're all in business for a reason. The problem that so many small business owners have is that they go in 10 million different directions, not really sure which way to go. Listen as your team of experts, Jennifer Glass, Daniel McCrane, and Patricia Rezzatillo, go through what you need in your business to really make it stand out and benefit you. Because it's the bottom line that matters. Welcome to another episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. We are dedicated to your success. First of all, Happy New Year. It is 2024. It is a great way to start the year, a great way to start looking at what you're going to be doing over the next 12 months. You have 366 days this year that you have a chance to write new chapters in your life. You have 366 days this year to really be making a difference in where you want to be and what it is that you're trying to do. If you didn't already do your goals for the year, now is a great time to start doing it. But what you need to do is you need to actually voice them to other people. Don't just think it in your head and say, this is what I'm going to be doing. And one of those goals might be about solidifying or creating a sales process for your business to be generating more opportunities and fixing maybe some things that may need to be fixed and creating new outlets for you to get started. So as we look at creating a sales process, there's so many different factors that are involved. Daniel, let me ask you, to start when we're looking at the sales process, and I'm asking you as the national sales leader for a larger firm, you are dealing with this on a regular basis. But Mm -hmm. if you're looking at implementing a sales process, again, all three of us needed to be doing it anyway, in our own respective businesses outside of your uh, national sales director position, But what do we need to be paying attention to as we look at building out a sales process? Well, thank you, Jennifer. Uh, And let me say also, um, thank you for recognizing that the the firm is a little bit larger and does have a national presence. Uh, Let me also say, though, that it is still a small business. So everything that I'm going to share uh, with our listeners here today would apply to them as a small business as well. So uh, don't don't think that this is one of those um, multi-thousand uh, employee kind of firms, and this won't apply to you. Uh, this is still a small business. What I have learned, uh, I am in the process of implementing in my own business. And if you heard our previous episode about me, myself, and I, uh, that's where <laughs> I am. So... Uh, all of this will still apply to you, uh, small business owner listening to this episode. Uh, so that being the case, um, where I began building the, the sales process for this firm was with an understanding of the buyer journey. And this is what I would challenge everyone to do is to figure out what does the buyer journey look like for your business? And what I mean is, What are the steps, what are the toll gates, or what are the milestones that someone needs to hit 
what are those decision points that someone needs to make to go from interested prospect where they've at least raised their hand and said, you know, I, I might kind of maybe someday think about having a conversation to talk about maybe becoming a client of yours, you know, uh, to all the way when they actually sign, they give you money and they become a client. So every business may have different steps, but they will fall into these three categories. And let's start with the, the closest to the sale and work further away. Now, some of this information comes from uh, Chet Holmes' book, uh, which suddenly just escapes me. Uh, so if somebody wants to help me out with that. Um, but uh, Chet Holmes, I think, was one of the first sales trainers in his book to point out that of all of the audience that fits your ideal client you would like to work with, only three, maybe 1% of that population is ready to buy from you now. So when you're building out your process, I'm going to recommend you start backwards. Start with who's ready to buy from you now, and then ask yourself, what's the very next decision or piece of education, or what's the step that comes right before saying, I'm ready to buy now? And for a lot of companies, that's going to fall somewhere in the category of, well, I, I've already determined I have a problem and I've, did, I've educated myself on the solution, and now I'm trying to figure out who to buy from. So it comes down to the decision of who will they buy from? Who is the vendor? So now add that to your sales process. Why should someone buy from you? And then continue to work backwards. Now that they're going, you've determined they're going to buy from you and now here's how to become a client, go backwards the next step before. What education do they need on your solution versus all the other solutions out there to the problem that you solve? And then add that to your sales process. Then take the step before that where you're educating the client on the problem they have that they don't, maybe they don't realize that they have. Maybe they realize it, but maybe they don't. And so that's how you build your sales process. So start backwards. But the buyer journey begins with awareness of the problem, choosing a solution, choosing a vendor, now becoming a client. That's the buyer journey at the 40,000 foot level. You may have more stages than that, but start backwards and build your sales process out that way. So let me ask another question. We get somebody in the door. We know that they're there. The buyer journey is an idea for us to help move that process along. But how do we brass tacks? How do we look at moving them through the process when we're actually speaking with a person. Because again, the idea of having the buyer's journey is great. You know, like, yeah, we want to move them from here, awareness to solution, to purchase, to et cetera. But we know people are people and they don't always follow what a textbook says they would follow but how do you start showing someone again because there's objections 
right? And questions or objections and just another name. But right. how do we make that process though, start to really make it stand out that we're delivering the right kind of solution for their particular need? And again, the need may be a problem. It may be they just need a different provider because they don't like the other provider, whatever may be happening in that regard. So how do we start figuring out those pieces as we're starting the process? And again, I'm saying starting as opposed to just augmenting, because Mm -hmm. if we know what the frequently asked questions are that we've already been dealing with in the objections, we can build that into the presentations already. But as we're starting out, how do we do that? And that's where I want to kind of take this conversation. Sure. Uh, You just made some really great points there, Jennifer. So I hope everyone caught that. Um, You talked about frequently asked questions or frequent objections that come up and then building that into your script earlier into the, the process. So that's a great point to make. And I hope everyone caught that. This is trial and error. This is boots on the ground. This is face-to-face meetings with clients. This is paying attention to the conversations that you're having and working that into your script. There are so many key points there uh, that you just made, Jennifer, in just the the couple statements that you made right there. Uh, But that's a a very important part of building the sales process. Uh, You can start to do this. In fact, you will need to start to do this just with an understanding of psychology, uh, just with an understanding of what is the problem that your product or solution solves, and then determining what is the benefit. And where I'm starting to drive to is what is the value proposition to the client for what you're about to sell them? What are they going to get? What is the transformative effect that will transform their lives if they purchase your product or solution. So some of that is going to be psychology. What do they need to know to be able to make this decision at this stage of the buyer's journey? And I know there are people out there, there are sales coaches who say, if you get them making small decisions as you go, then you can help them make the big decision at the end. Uh, And I'm not going to say that uh, building the script when you're talking with the client, that that's a a bad approach. I'm not going to argue with that at all. Uh, If you want to take that approach when you're doing the the sales meeting with the client, go ahead and do that. What I'm thinking is, as the buyer thinks about becoming a client, like I was saying, they go through these stages as part of the buyer's journey. What's going to help them to make the decision that you are the right vendor to buy from? What's going to help them make the decision that this is the solution I want to buy? What's going to help them make the decision that, oh yes, I have this problem, I need to find a solution. Those are the decision points that you want to focus on. And some of that is just gonna be psychology. It also comes down to understanding who your ideal audience is. Um, So let's take an example. Uh, We've all been part of a a coaching program before, and I'm sure we've heard this. Um, Let's take an example of a a plastic surgeon who wanted to focus on uh, helping women feel better about their bodies after giving birth. 
And he used an example in his marketing of uh, get the body that creates envy. Now, that kind of a message is not a value proposition to a woman who has just given birth. <laughs> That's not what what's going through that mom's mind. No. At that point in time. No. She just wants to get so, comfortable again. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Very good. So she wants to repair any damages this child may have done to her. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> so understanding who your audience is, who you want to work with, and then understanding what is going through their mind, you can begin to apply some psychology and start to come up with some of this scripting. Then it comes down to trial and error. I tried this. It didn't quite work. Let me change up a little bit about how I say this. And you start to tweak it and fine tune it until you start to uh, come into the right kind of messaging and the right scripting that you want to have. So you must be very clear about who that ideal audience is from the very, very beginning. Now, at the same time, as someone goes through your buyer's journey that you're creating, uh, I know that uh, I've talked with several small business owners and they think, well, I just don't know what everyone who fits my target demographic is going to be thinking as they're going through this. It doesn't matter. Offer your solution to that problem and that will resonate with some people who are in your demographic. And if it doesn't resonate with other people who are in your demographic, that's great. <laughs> you don't want them as clients. <laughs> If this is not a good solution for them, but they become a client, they will only be a problem client because it's not the right solution. <laughs> right. So don't worry about that. Build your sales process based on the solution that you offer and why you are the correct vendor to choose from and let the rest of it go. <laughs> yes. So let me ask you, <coughs> excuse me, um, if we're looking at, again, going back into psychology and we're looking at how do we start understanding the person a little bit better. And again, coming in cold, we're not going to necessarily know your type A, your type B. If you think about the disc personalities, Again, mm -hmm. you really are not going to know that from the start, but each are going to have their own way that you need to work with the prospect through that um, process. So my question is, is that something that gets built into the messaging and the scripts as well and just trying to understand as part of the building rapport stage? Or is that overlooked in terms of that process i think the that building rapport is the stage of the process uh, so that's the important part of the sales process that you need to keep in mind you do have to build rapport now how do you build rapport <clears throat> we can go a, a myriad of different ways with that i'm a big fan of the disc uh, methodology i think it's very easy to understand it's very easy to size someone up in just a, a few minutes of conversation and to be able to adjust your speech patterns accordingly. 
So it doesn't change the buying process to understand personality types like that. It just changes your relation, your relatability with the person that you're speaking with on the spot. So I don't know if that was the exact answer you're looking for, Jennifer. <laughs> um, no, and I thank you, Patricia. Let me ask you, when you're speaking with a prospective client, how do you start building rapport? I mean, are you looking at that disc also? Is it something different in terms of what it is that you're looking at doing? I don't have as much of a process as Daniel does. Um, you know, and sometimes you don't even know if this person even is a prospect. Um, and so you just have a conversation with them. Right. You know, I mean, and one thing you I ask was... a few questions and you find out, you know, why are they talking to you, depending on, you know, if they had a choice or not, um, what they know about you already. Um, Wait, you got to go back and explain that. What? <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. Well, so I'm thinking you about had a it. Choice a... or not? <laughs> I mean, you always have a choice, right? If you're going to talk <laughs> with somebody or not. Um, sometimes you're in a situation where you choose to reach out to somebody and say, "Hey, I want to learn more about you and this wonderful thing that you do." Right? Mm. So you have a yeah okay i okay. mean even if you're on lunch club and lunch club has paired you with somebody you can still look at and look at this person and say uh no <laughs> right yeah or, oh yeah i gotta talk to this one i mean one of the things that i will simply do and <clears throat> this is one of those that i'm always um when i speak with someone new i'm not trying to necessarily come in as a sales person as much as how can I provide value? And if my value translates into a sales conversation, then I'm happy to do that. If it doesn't, at least they got the value from that in terms of all of those pieces. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, I like that approach, Jennifer. I, I prefer to be the consultant in the sales process rather than, let's say, the stereotypical, if I could say that word, stereotypical used car salesman that everybody hates, right? Yeah. I don't know if there are any of those salespeople still out there anymore. Um, but uh, for that stereotypical kind of salesperson, I do not like to be that person. I like to be the consultant and sometimes I arrive at the conclusion, we get done talking with a, a prospect and say, I don't think this is right for you. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that more times than I can count. Mm -hmm. But let me ask a different question, just because you mentioned the car salesperson. One thing I hate about going to the dealer is you know that the salesperson goes into the back room, they talk with their manager and they come back and they say, well, the manager said I can do this number. Yeah, okay, tell me though, really, what was the score of last night's game that you were just talking about? How was that donut? <laughs> yeah, don't tell me that you went back there to talk about the deal because I know you know your numbers and what the boss is gonna allow you to do and not allowed to do. Yeah. And I'm okay with a fair deal, right? I mean, the art of business is neither side walks away too happy 
and you're good. Um, Everybody has why. some money out of the deal. Everybody's happy enough. Yeah. Although, yeah. you know, if if I'm the salesperson, if I'm going to the used card uh, shop and the, and they try to do that, and I'm a salesperson, I do sales in my business. I think my reaction would be, it sounds like I'm not negotiating with the right person. Where's your boss's office? <laughs> yes. You know, one thing I've actually done is when a number came back on a lease that seemed awfully high, I asked the salesperson, I said, what is your money factor? And he looked at me funny. And I mean, I do leases too in one of my business lines. And so I understand where all this is coming from. And the salesperson is like, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And that's part of the training <clears throat> issue is that if you're trying to really make it make sense, you have to actually have people understand what certain things are. Like if you're coming up with a number, well, sure, I want to make $400 a month off of you. Well, how are you doing that, right? I mean, it may be a crazy great deal or a crazy unbelievably terrible deal, you know, that you're trying to put on the client. And that becomes an issue and how all of that ultimately plays out. But do you though, in the consultative approach, do you make it stupid easy for the client to understand or are there still certain things that are mysterious to the client through the process? Well, you got to make it easy to understand. You also don't want to overwhelm them with, you know, the nitty gritty of the whole process because there's stuff they need to understand now before they make the decision that they don't need to understand that they'll, where, where, where am I going? Oh, I got lost. You're right. No, you're right. There's you're stuff right. they need to understand yes. in order to make the decision. They don't need to understand the piece that comes next necessarily We'll get to that piece. I mean, if they're curious about it, yeah, we can talk about it. But you want right. to keep it in simple terms so you don't scare them out. Right. And oh, this is so complicated. Never mind. I'm I'm out. I, I've had prospects like that who, uh, you know, they want to know every single little detail about what my process looks like of working with them. And I describe them like the kind of people who need to understand how electricity works before they can use a computer. <laughs> Yes. Do you though ungoogle yourself? Ungoogle myself. <laughs> You're gonna have to explain that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people will turn to Google. I could just Google it to get the answer to whatever I need in mm -hmm. my business. Right. I want to do this. Okay. I go on Google, I figure out I can do that. Do you ungoogle yourself when you're speaking with a prospect? Meaning I don't tell them things? No, meaning here's an example. Um, I was on a meeting yesterday and someone was saying, well, I can just have my agency create the same kind of system that you have. And what you end up doing is, and again, the agency is like Google in this regard. And well, sure. You can, but A, are they going to have the same breadth of experience 
are they going to really understand what happens if you do A instead of B? What happens if you are um, still not sure about the answer? Does the agency have the answer to what it is that you're doing and how it is necessarily going to impact your business? To illustrate it in a different way as a business coach, if I'm speaking with a a prospective client and they say, well, I can just go on Google and figure out how to create a joint venture strategy. Well, sure. Google will tell you, do this, do this, do that. And congratulations, you got it. And it's absolutely no problem. I mean, go ahead, figure it out. But how do you nurture it? How -hmm. do you keep them knowing and recommending you instead of just saying, well, Daniel, let's create a joint venture strategy and say we're going to start setting business back and forth. How often does that work for you? (laughs) Okay. That's what I mean. Un-Google yourself. Great example. And uh, yes, I do. Um, It comes up all the time. Yeah. Uh, All the time. Well, I could just have ChatGPT do that for me. Mm, Yes. If you you know how to put the right prompts in and have the right background prompts set up for it. Yeah. Do you know how to do that? Well, it, it's not only that as much as the information being returned, is it valid? Right. Remember that attorney who submitted a brief and it quoted cases that, that weren't even exist. real cases. <laughs> right. They got in real trouble. They yeah. did. But that's a whole other story. I mean, if you're relying on chat GPT to manage your business, mm-hmm. you need to understand and nothing against open AI and the chat GPT program, it's an incredible tool that can help you, but don't rely on it to manage everything without confirming A, what you're doing and B, that the information is valid. Right. right. And it actually says that I think on chat GPT, like, you know, the data, first of all, is from 2019 and you need to be aware of that. And it's not necessarily to be a thousand percent trusted. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I do a lot of what you had just mentioned, Jennifer. I, I do a lot of um, saying, well, do they know how to do this? Do they know how to do this? Uh, so the internet is great, chat GPT especially. It's great at telling you what to do, but not how to do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always give you that expertise. It doesn't always give you the nuances of a process that, Sometimes you just have to learn by experience. Uh, it's like that story of the the plumbing contractor who comes in to fix the boiler, right? And he, he comes in and twists one nut that stops the leak. And he says, that'll be $10,000. What? $10,000? And then it took you five minutes to twist the nut. It's like, yeah, uh, knowing which nut to twist, that's what you're paying it took me. took me 40 years of experience <laughs> to know I twist this particular right. nut, yes. But the, and how but much the, are you going to lose right. in your business if this thing keeps on? Right. I've, I've heard the analogy, I've heard the story where it was, you know, a cruise ship and you he walked right. in and he hear, listened here and listened there and tapped it over here and and now the ship is running again. Right, well, those right, ships, yeah. you know, right. It, it, it's whatever the story tons, is. thousands of dollars an hour if they're not operational. Right. But one of the things that I do uh, when people bring up those kinds of concerns, those kinds of objections is I'm usually talking to someone who is an expert in their field. That's the type of business owner that I speak with. They're already a recognized expert in their field. 
And one of the things they complain about all the time is how their clients try to undercut them and say, well, I could just look that up on YouTube and I could do that. And so when they try to do that to me, I just reverse the tables. <laughs> say you're an expert in your field. How do you feel when people say, well, I could just YouTube that and do it myself? What's your response? So I'm the expert in my <laughs> field. And yeah. you're treating me the way that you don't appreciate being treated. Yeah. What is the golden rule in the Bible? Do it to others yeah. as you would want done to yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So as we wrap up the conversation, we really went on a couple of different rabbit holes. Um, or I should say went down a couple of different rabbit holes. Um in the sales process. But as we wrap up our conversation, Patricia, let me start with you. When you're giving the guidance to someone or even yourself to create a new sales process now, what would the top three things be that you would say need to be there in the sales process? In the process itself? In the process itself, top three oh, things like this is right. the checklist one, two, right. three. Right, right. Um, when I go and find a sales coach that can help me with this, okay. So that's process that's number one. one. Um, two, I know that I'm going to be using some form of a customer journey, so you know, you got to lay out those, those milestones, those, those stepping stones, whatever you want to call them. Um, yeah, I got two because <laughs> I'm going back to number one. Okay. <laughs> so Daniel, what are the three things that have no place being in the checklist? Oh, Jennifer, I was ready to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we already heard your, you know, <laughs> yes, your checklist of stuff. Oh, three things that have no place being in the checklist. Wow. Let's see. Um, for creating the process, uh, three things that have no place being in the checklist. Um, what each and every one of your emails as part of your drip campaign is going to say. <laughs> not need to be part of the checklist creating the buyer uh, the sales process um uh what uh, what marketing media or channels you will use does not need to be part of your sales process <laughs> all those things are happen before the sales process uh what's something else that does not belong as part of the sales process that gets people hung up um, I think a, another thing that doesn't belong is, uh, this might deal with the complexity of your business. Uh, some more complex businesses, uh, the type that I tend to, to work with the, the whole concept of a, an automated, uh, client driven or the whole concept of like a, a one call close that happens automatically does not belong as part of your sales process. Okay. 
I think so, that's fantasy for too many businesses. Okay. So I'm going to add a couple of things onto the lists. One would be really, and again, may or may not be really part of the process, but a clear understanding of numbers. Because mm. if you don't really have clear ideas of numbers, the sale conversation can't really happen because you can't offer a product like we said before about the car. If you don't really know your costs and what the commissions and everything else that have to be paid on that are going to be, you can't have a sales conversation. And so whatever that process is really needs to be clear. Another one that needs to be there is that you also need to understand how everything is going to be delivered because very often we neglect certain pieces and we assume sure we can take it on based on our existing capacity but sometimes we need to understand we need to bring in outside partners or um, contractors vendors whatever to fulfill a part of the deal and then we also have to make sure that they are available as well in that process too, because that can derail a sale pretty quickly. Um, worst thing you want is you get the money from the client and then you have to refund it because you weren't able to fulfill it. And then you look like an idiot and they will never trust you again yeah. for anything. Yeah. Um, so you want to make sure that that's clear. Um, and then something that doesn't necessarily have to be there is which particular salesperson is going to be there. You know, you're going to have certain fights. Sure, I want the bigger client because we're going to be more of a commission, but that's not necessarily something that has to be figured into the calculation immediately, even though in a lot of businesses, there is that jockeying for certain kinds of deals. And so when you're going through the process, just keep that in mind also, that's part of the management. That's not necessarily the sales process itself. You guys agree on those ideas? I do, Jennifer. Yes, I would second all of those. Mm-hmm. Yes. The, the sales process needs to be salesperson agnostic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And so with that, again, we wish you a wonderful 2024 and beyond. And until next time, here's to your success. Thanks so much for listening to another amazing episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. We're all about helping the small business community grow and reaching as many people as we can. And the algorithms on the podcast programs love reviews. So if you loved what you just heard, consider leaving us a review. And even if you don't, I'm sure you already did, but consider sharing our episodes and our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Sharing is caring and here's to your success. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. It's the bottom line that matters.